everybody. Welcome to our podcast. I'm Liz. And I'm Taylor. And now we're talking, Darian. Hello and welcome. We are back. It's uh, March 24th still, uh, but this is our part two uh, with Jamie Stevenson. And now we're going to talk a little bit about your professional life. Um, you know, we were so grateful to have you here talking about your personal life. And we talked about your history and we talked about your role as our first selectman here in Darien. And, you know, Liz, you made the comment, um, you know, that Jamie's really made it a full-time job. And you just made the funny comment that you're like, I, I can't imagine it being anything but that. <laughs> you want to expand on that? Sure, I, I would love to. And maybe that comment comes from the history of the position before I served as first selectman. I certainly know that there were people that um, didn't do the job in a full-time capacity, but I can't imagine it being anything but full-time given the rigors of all of the policies and responsibilities and some of the new things that are on the plates of chief elected officials here in Connecticut, such as the new councils of governments, for example. Um, while I've been serving as first selectman back in 2015, the legislature uh, brought into law the formation of these councils of governments. There are nine of them across the state. We are in the Western Connecticut Council of Governments. There's 18 towns in total. So I was part of the creation of that regional structure. And gosh, you can't find somebody who's more opposed to regionalism in a general sense than me. But WestCog has been a fantastic organization to be part of. Wait, you got to back up. First of all, okay. why do we even care about these these groups you're in, the, the regionalization groups? Why does why does anyone, Darren, care about how the government's been restructured in that sense? Uh, because we suffer the outcomes of the policies that come from those bodies, from the Council of Governments. Um, and I'll, I can talk a little bit more in granular detail about the responsibilities of what we work on in WestCog. Um, but, you know, if Darian wants to have a voice okay. in our region and in our state, okay. your first selectman needs to be engaged. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I consider it to be a tremendous responsibility and a privilege to be the voice for our town outside the boundaries of our town. Yeah. And you, you've dived into that, too. I mean, yes. you served as chairman of mm -hmm. Westcog. Are you still chairman? I'm not. I'm vice chair now. We okay. keep trading back and forth. West okay. Cog, West Connecticut. Western, Western Connecticut Council of Governments. But you're also involved with CCM, which is the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities. You're on the board for that, right? Correct. Um, the, what, SWERPA? What's the... <laughs> yeah. so this Risk is, management. I mean, you are all over the place. Yeah, this is super wonky. So I'll, I'll just give you like 60 seconds to organize it in your mind. So we have WestCog, Western Connecticut Council of Governments. Within that regional council, there are two organizations under that umbrella that deal with transportation-related policies. The Southwestern Region... Metropolitan Planning Organization and the Housatonic Valley Metropolitan Planning Organization. Those two subgroups are actually creatures of the federal government, federal transportation, as a matter of fact. So we approve all, all things transportation related in our region. 
things associated with the trains and, and signal upgrades and all sorts of stuff related to transportation. Westcog, in addition to that, uh, handles regional services among our towns. So things that we voluntarily agree to do between towns can be done under the umbrella of Westcog. So it's a great opportunity. Um, I love working with my chief elected officials from the other towns. We are uh, an exemplary organization for bipartisan cooperation. Most of the time, nobody even really talks about what you know whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. We just do the work and you know have great friendships among each other. So I love that. CCM, Connecticut Conference of Municipalities, is the state's largest municipal advocacy group. And I believe that there are 168 of the 169 towns that are members of CCM. Um, and again... Who's missing? Um, <laughs> sorry you asked me that. I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I'm not sure. Um, but... CCM is actively engaged at the legislative table at the Capitol in Hartford. So if you have things that you care about that impact your town, you got to get CCM to help you out. So yes, I, I want to be actively engaged in CCM so that they remember a little Darianne down here and stuff that matters to us. Is this something that you choose you volunteer to be on or is this like one of the is this part of like the distribution of governing in Connecticut um, I was recommended by uh, a former uh, mayor of the city of Danbury to join the board of CCM you joined it okay yes I was asked you to join I was nominated to be on on the board um, and and once on the board spent time learning and um ended up on the executive committee now. I am actually uh, the first vice president. Luke Bronin, the mayor of Hartford, is the president of CCM, and I am his first vice president. So, you know, I think that's a good yin and yang, right? Yeah. Um, big city, small town. It's really important for me to be not only the voice of Darianne, but to be the voice of all the small towns in the state of Connecticut. Um, CCM is uh, their sort of their uh, their mothership agency is the National League of Cities. So they have a great focus on um, the success of urban centers. And so obviously, I think we would all agree, at least I agree, that um, a state it can only be successful if our urban centers are successful. And we can probably talk about some things that I think would help to make our urban centers more successful. So CCM is very supportive of the needs of Hartford and New Haven and Waterbury and Bridgeport um, and a couple others. Um, the president of the board of CCM right now is Luke Bronin, as I mentioned, uh, mayor of Hartford. His wife, Sarah Bronin, is the sort of the founder of this organization called Desegregate Connecticut. And it's Desegregate Connecticut that has put forward all of these zoning reform proposals. So CCM convened a working group to discuss the proposals. Um, 
It was uh, uh, populated by, uh, I think I was only one of a few chief elected officials on it. The rest were uh, planning and zoning commissioners from across the state. That were appointed or just... Volunteered. They volunteered volunteer. to serve on this working group. And, and, and the only thing that we talked about and debated was the desegregate agenda. Mm. And in, in the end, they, uh, the working group came to consensus agreement on things that, in the agenda, that um, the majority could agree upon. Not everybody agreed on all the elements in that consent agenda, and some of them were pretty significant. And the two that I opposed were the, the transit-oriented uh, elements of that proposal, um, and I don't know if you want me to right. talk a half about mile that from the train station. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Increased density and a half mile from train stations, and then in single-family zones. Yes. So to to spell that out for people who aren't following this, there's there's a proposal out there to draw a circle of a half mile in radius around transit stations, around train stations specifically, right? Uh, train stations. Ferry terminals and uh, uh, a main bus terminal. Not bus station stops, but a bus terminal. Okay. And it would allow, as of right, multifamily housing on 50% of the land? Correct. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Of four or more units. Right. And as of right means without a public hearing? Correct. So you were, um, you had two problems with the, the two yeah. main problems with desegregated. On the rest of that committee, did other people have problems with the desegregate Connecticut or were... Yes, there were some people that that loved the agenda, um, namely the representatives of the cities okay. who were strong advocates for the proposal. Uh, and then there were some other towns that were very opposed to certain elements of the agenda. Is it... Uh, am I going on a limb and saying, in general, small towns are opposed to this in the large cities? Large urban cities are... For it, or is that not the case? I think there's some small towns in other parts of the state of Connecticut that are supportive of this, but you know, the the issues of a rural community are very different than the issues that we have here in Darien. We're actually yeah. the most densely populated small town in southwestern Connecticut already. Okay. So to if to take the those areas around the train station or around the main street corridor an increased density three to five times, you could imagine how that will change our community. The other element, um, that's the transit-oriented part of the agenda. The other part that I really opposed was the fact that in those areas, um, they were eliminating minimum parking standards. So you could build all this density and not require a developer to provide parking. Well, people have cars, can't keep them from having cars. So where are they going to park? They're going to park on the street. And that creates a really different environment than the town of Darien is accustomed to. And, and I was strongly opposed to it. Um, I think it's very bad for pedestrian and bicycle safety. Um, so, you know, I, I was pretty vocal about my opposition and testified against that bill. So Senate the, Bill 1024. Was your like dissenting opinion reflected in the CCM report? 
No, but uh, you know, I gave him the heads up that I was going to testify in opposition. And in actuality, I, I published my testimony, but I opposed in part and supported in part because there were some right, things right. In, in that bill that I think are are pretty good. You know, commissioner training and um, accessory dwelling units as of right, mm -hmm. but in my opinion, in only certain zones. The desegregated agenda would like accessory dwelling units as of right on every property in right. your town. And and in my mind, that just can't work in certain places in Darien. Is it, is it just me or is it compromise of agenda, professional agenda, if the mayor of Hartford, the chair of this committee, his wife is the one presenting the legislation? Isn't it? It, to me, I mean, I, I I cannot be the only one thinking this or saying this, right? It just seems like you're in bed. It's, it's like you're sleeping with the president. I mean, I don't know. It seems really messed up, Jamie. I don't, I mean, not that I expect so much from politics after these days. I mean, who knows? I mean, after Bill Clinton, the curtain was opened. I mean. <laughs> so a couple of things. Uh, obviously, Mayor Bronin and his wife are very passionate about this issue. Um, it's a little hard for me to understand why why the passion, other than they believe that Connecticut is unaffordable, um, and they believe that Connecticut is the most segregated state, or one of the most segregated states in the country, and they would like to try and make a difference in that regard. Um, the truth of the matter is, there is nothing in that bill that either... Uh, will produce affordable housing or have the outcome of desegregating the state of Connecticut. Nothing at all. There's nothing in it that mandates affordability. Um, in actuality, it's going to you know, build uh, an, an oversupply of market rate housing. And we know here in Darien, because land is so expensive, that those market rate units are going to be pretty pricey. It was a little surprising for me to actually hear some of the proponents say, and I'll use this word a little bit sophomoric, if you build enough supply, you know, that supply-demand curve, you know, the values will go down. But I'm incensed by the fact that it might go the values might be lower for somebody looking to buy in but what about the person that lives next door right and their values that. go down you know it, you, you know, remember the mortgage crisis exactly so um, is affordability in Connecticut an issue absolutely it is is some kind of zoning reform done at the local level, agreed upon by the, the folks who are elected in cities and towns, uh, part of the solution? Absolutely, it can be, depending on your town. But there's a whole other discussion to be had about affordability. Um, I'm, what I'm reminded of is after the financial crisis of 2008, um, you know, you've read the headlines many times about how High, high wage paying jobs have left the state and low wage paying jobs um, are coming into the state. So there's an imbalance and affordability um, is, you know, it has to be balanced with better jobs, higher wage paying jobs 
creating an environment of opportunity for people here in Connecticut, for new businesses mm -hmm. to come and open. It isn't just about creating affordable housing, in my opinion. Absolutely, because you can you know, depress the price of one asset in a person's life, or you can raise their earnings power, which is a much more powerful vector, I would say. Um, and I know you're a big, big fan of that, you know, helping people, helping lift people up. I mean, you're involved now with LifeBridge, right? Which is such a cool organization up in Bridgeport. You want to talk about that a little bit? Oh, it is such a cool organization. Well, I, I'm, I'm privileged to sit on two boards. I sit on the board of the Rowan Center, right. formerly the Center for Sexual Assault Crisis Counseling and Education, obviously a big issue um, in our lives and in the lives of political figures over the last couple years. Mm -hmm. They do amazing work. Um, and so I hope people will check out the Rowan Center and support them. Um, Life Bridge Community Services in Bridgeport is an organization that provides um, mental health care services to the two most impoverished zip codes in Bridgeport. I kind of followed a friend of mine who's now the president and CEO of that organization, Alan Mathis. Um, he used to be the president of Liberation Programs, another organization near and dear to my heart. And, and Life Bridge is an organization dedicated to partnering with the youth and families of Bridgeport to create resilience. Isn't that something that we talk to our own kids about every single day? And I love that. I mean, that's foundational to that's awesome. living a good, healthy life. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Life Thank Bridge you. is cool. Check it out. I would love to see more of our, like, our political leaders, Jamie, like I've got a limb here, doing stuff like this versus like, I, I'm, I'm a proponent of government being less involved. You know, get out of our way. Let us do what we can do for ourselves. Don't be putting these large mandates, you know, state mandates. Let us work at our own zoning levels and our own communities and our own homes. Don't be telling me like, from who I can marry to, you know, I don't know wh where I'm parking or limiting my parking space. So I wish it, in my perfect world, politicians would be spending their energy by putting it into charities, um, f funds, I mean, like, you know, programs like this, where, where you tr actually truly see affected change. I mean, I, I, do you, I guess I don't even know where I, I go with that question. Do you see results in? Maybe I'll hop in here and say, yeah. um, I, I always tell people that government could never do and should never do what these awesome nonprofits do so well, and private agencies are, are able to do it so well. You know, government is there to be uh, a foundation uh, to provide some fundamental services. You know, we, we run your sewer system and we keep your street lights on and, and, bravo we, with that. and we build right. sidewalks and, and stuff like that. But, you know, there is no question that there is an ideological difference between uh, political parties when it comes to what they want the role of government to be. And that's really a, a, a question that, that I, I think people really should be asking is, what is the proper role of government? What should they do? But more importantly, what shouldn't they do? Yeah, great question. Sounds yeah, and, and let's get back to Darien. So I was curious yeah. to ask you, what do you think? I mean, you know, we are in the midst of this argument. I know there's a website out there called CT169 Strong, which references the 169 towns in our state and the idea that they are independent of one another. And there's no, there are clearly differences, right, between the towns. And what do you think makes Darien unique? 
and special? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. Um, first, let me say that um, I love to tell people whenever I can that I you've heard so many times legislators say, well, you know, Connecticut is unaffordable because we don't have real county government and we've got these 169 towns that are so inefficient. I actually think our 169 towns are what makes Connecticut really cool and really unique because you can choose to live in a big city like Hartford or Stamford, or you can go live on a farm in Connecticut and, and live a very rural uh, lifestyle. And I think having that choice, I, 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 I believe in choice in all things. So I think having that choice here within this tiny little state is so fantastic. But what makes Darianne special? Uh, clearly the people that live here. We have amazing people, as I, as I said in the last segment that we did together. We have amazing people that live here. And I would say that our focus on family values is critical to the foundation of our community. We have incredible nonprofit organizations. We have an outstanding public school system. We are perfectly situated in terms of a reasonable commute to uh, to New York, but you can get to Boston in in just a couple hours. Great you, geography. You said something earlier about um, density and Darian. I want to circle back on not to like jump in on this, but I alone we talk about you know the these legislation bills that are coming through right now and about already you know increasing the density of these small towns. Prior to that happening, we have two large developments going on in Darien, one in Norton Heights, and then also downtown Darien. David Genevieve is doing downtown Darien. Norton Heights is being done by Federal Realty. And then there's also the Palmer section that's going to be redeveloped. And alone there, we've got like Norton Heights has 120 units, I think, coming in. I'm already a little nervous about the density from what we have on the agenda for the next two years. Like, can you speak to that about like what Darien's going to look like in a year from now, two years now with that density? And then if these bills come in, like, you know, like are mandated, what does the town look like? How do we even, how do our schools even handle another 120, 240 units? It's a great question. And I think that, um, one of the great things about the process that we have right now is public input, which these bills would disallow for this housing development, mm -hmm. you know, federal realty and, and, and the Corbin projects, were fully vetted, you know, in the light of day and, and lots of public input about it. So I think our community f now feels invested in that. And so, you know, I, I'm hoping that we can see those developments come to fruition. I'm very excited about them. They bring housing options that are unique for our town. Um, they also are going to bring new businesses, which is fantastic to our town. But we need to absorb that. Yeah. And then see where we go. And, and those aren't the only developments that are happening. You know, we've redeveloped our senior affordable housing. We've got, you know, housing units being spread out and built all through town, which is great. That incremental growth um, that our, our local public has supported is the way to do it top-down, state-mandated housing density 
is a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Okay, let's put that on the side for now. Let's say let's ignore and say that the state legislature, this top-down, larger Hartford bills aren't coming. How do we? How does Darian absorb what's coming our way? You know, I'm excited about these developments. I'm on the architectural review board. I've seen all this stuff. I'm. I think it's going to be great. But there is a small side of worry on how our town absorbs, even what we have already locally approved. How do we take in all these families? Like, you know. We're packed. Our schools are packed. Woody, are you nervous about any of this? <laughs> I think about it. Okay. Um, you know, you know better <clears throat> than anyone else that during the vetting process for these projects, all of those questions were asked. So the various bodies that had to approve them got comfortable that, you know, they weren't going to negatively impact traffic. And they had conversations with the school districts about the expected number of students in relation to what the enrollment projections are going to be. But some of these pieces of legislation, you know, we've carefully planned. Yeah, right. You know, the and, thoughtfulness that has gone into correct. this is, is exceptional. And I want right. to, you know, just call that out. Like, it's really been thoughtful development. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'd hate to see the opportunity for more of that disappear um, because it's clear that we're trying to head in the right direction but you know if we if, if we're removed from the process that's not going to okay yeah so benefit. let's play out the extreme so these bills do get passed I live next door to to Jane Smith and then Jane Smith's house gets bought for cheap it's you know it's an older house you know easily purchased up someone takes it they put in a multifamily unit there so now I've got parking all along the street right? I've got a sewer system on my street now that or a house that was meant for six people, eight people, let's say, is now being a, a unit operated 12, 15, 20 people out of that. And then now my school system, my school bus that goes down my street, that was one school bus that could pick up every kid along the street. Now we need multiple school buses. And in that same class, like I just, I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating this, but I just, I'm just trying to think how this would really, what this would really look like. And I don't know if people in Darien understand that the people we've elected on the larger state level like are okay with these bills, and this is what's I, just, I don't I think you are the one of the minority voices bringing up these questions. Maybe we'll see. I'm not I'm not sure I'm a minority voice. I, I think the the advocates ha- are very loud. Okay, um, but I love the questions that you're asking. I hope people will listen. I hope people will read and understand because the things you bring up are real. I think there's no way to sugarcoat what that kind of density would look like here, how it would function here. Um, and and we need to be eyes wide open on that. I know there's, you know, it seems a misunderstanding or a miscommunication between the way these are our, you know, our understandings of these bills. But then, you know, the other side will say that there's no desire or intent to take away the control, local control of zoning. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how this plays out because, you know, it certainly sounds like the decisions are going to be made for us, whether we still, you know, elect a planning and zoning commission or not. So I don't know. I, I look forward to finding out more about how this is how this is really going to work. Um, but and we are only, by the way, day five into the the most liberal COVID policies yet that we've seen in a year, by the way. What does that feel like to you, Jamie? I mean, you've been through this whole thing. You've seen us go all the way down to the bottom, and now we're starting to come back out, right? Yeah. I, you know, talk about a curveball. There's no possible way to have conceived that 
I would be helping the town manage through a pandemic of all things. <laughs> I did right? not Nobody sign signs up for up this. For that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, um, I'm I'm grateful to have have been here through this. I think having experienced leadership in a time like this is really important. Having an incredible team uh, in town hall, health department, board of education, and the school system all collaborating. Uh, you know, I, there's so many silver linings to this past year, along with so many very difficult things, but I'm trying to focus on on, on the good. And there, there's a lot of good stuff that has been a byproduct of of managing a pandemic. Um, I Just am, that collaboration with the school system and getting the teachers vaccinated was fantastic. Thank you. And and the role that the nurses have played in contact tracing and and you know, being the volunteers at the vaccine clinics has been incredible. So I hope that we build on that as a town, that collaboration. The school nurses were doing Yeah, that? school nurses, yeah. Oh, wow. It's I really know great. Um, you know, I will say it's been all-consuming, and I'm grateful that we are beginning to feel like we're coming out of it. But I, I want to caution for anybody that's going to listen to this, <laughs> you know, we're not out of the woods yet. You know, we're, we still have new cases every day, um, and we now have these variants. Fortunately, no no variants have been recorded in the town of Darien as of yet, but they're all around us in southwestern Connecticut. And so, um, I'm ready to run naked through town. I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> why do you run naked around the podcast? <laughs> I'm gonna run naked and suck around you guys right now and put this down. <laughs> But, you know, people are getting vaccinated. That's great. Um, I will say that the most interesting thing this past year is managing people's fear. Fear is almost impossible to manage, and uh, it's real. Um, And so, you know, we have persevered. You know, my state of the town address, I talked about our town's resilience, and I think we've done a great job. And you know what? That's a blessing of living in a small town that we've been able to come together as a community, collaborate across departments. Okay, I'm gonna play devil's yeah. advocate here though on you, Jamie. Okay, I I, I love you, so I, I've gotten to know you over time, and I know what you've done. But there are crazy critics out there, and luckily for me, I am not on Darian Mom's Facebook. But what I've heard is that you get jabbed left and right all day long, and so there's a lot of criticism out there for how you've handled COVID. What you could have done better? What, sure. What do you think about that? What could you have done better? Well, everybody can do things better, right? You know, nobody handed me or any of my staff the book about how to handle a pandemic. Well, actually, there is a plan. There is a plan somewhere on a shelf about how to manage a pandemic. And we're now going to put it in the garbage can because there wasn't <laughs> one thing in that plan that was useful during an actual pandemic. So even the state of Connecticut didn't handle managing the pandemic in the way that they had planned to. You know, we have all these regional emergency management organizations. The governor took control. Right. He's worked through the Department of Economic and Community Development to, you know, develop all the sector rules. That was never outlined in a pandemic plan. So are there things that we could have done better? Absolutely. Um, it would be ridiculous to say that isn't true. What do you think you've done best? Um, testing. 
Yes. Okay. We were, you know, I know we'll take criticism for the testing providers that we've had, but, you know, it's easy to forget that there was no testing available. Mm. Yet we were one of the first towns in Connecticut to have testing. And remember, you know, we're that, we're that wealthy, quote unquote, white town in southwestern Connecticut. So the state's resources were not going to be utilized here. Appropriately, the resources were focused in the urban centers and areas that were underserved. So we have to fend for ourselves, and and that's really kind of been my mantra through my administration is we should stand on our own. Do you think we're penalized for having? Sorry, Taylor, I'm jumping in. <laughs> that's okay. Do you, so, do you think that, that we get penalized for being a fiscally responsible town? And what I mean by maybe people don't understand that maybe actually Taylor. Why don't you say for me what a fiscally responsive town is? Because I know you're on the Board of Ed. So you say that, and then Jamie, you answer that. I'm on the Board of Finance. Board of, yeah, sorry, board of Ed, Board of Finance. <laughs> no, but, but actually, it's, it's an interesting point that you're making. Like, we are blessed to have been able to do some of these things because we were, you know, conservatively managed going into this. We have a, a sizable reserve fund. Um, we have a rainy day fund of our own, thank God, because a lot of towns don't. And you know, I'm glad that they are able to benefit from the resources that are coming from the federal government and from the state. And I'm glad that we are able to take care of ourselves. Um, you know, it does feel sometimes like we're, you know, they should be like, hey, thanks a lot. I'm glad you don't need our help right now. But instead, you know, we get criticized most of the time. Okay. Um, so is that what it is? So um, now, oh, yeah. I mean, I think you guys, have you did a great job managing the situation. I think the town was in a really good financial position to manage it. I think everything... The collaboration across boards, like it's gone very smoothly. I mean, the the covering of costs between you know, the town's reserve fund and the schools um, was flawless, and you know it all went very very well. And I'm grateful to be a part of a town that was prepared for something as absolutely unforeseen and crazy as as COVID. Okay, but are we penalized as a town for being fiscally responsive, responsible, and just generally responsible? And I wouldn't say that we're penalized. Okay. Uh, the state just acknowledges probably that that we can take care of ourselves, and you know I, I kind of feel like Taylor, like it would be nice once in a while um, for them to say, you know, hey, thanks, yeah, right? And it was it was comforting for me to know that we weren't going to have to worry if we needed some money to do whatever we needed to do to help our community through COVID. The good news is that the town really didn't need a lot of money on the town side to address the COVID crisis. Um, the Board of Ed certainly did, and they got what they needed. But that's only because we've been smart over the decades, and we've been able to put money away. And so, you know, that's that's a big thing. That's really important for me, that continuity of, of fiscal discipline so that when the chips are down and you've got an issue and you need some money that it's there for you. Right. So Jamie, will you give Hartford a message for me? Sure. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe I should hear it first. <laughs> when it comes to the passing of any zoning legislation, remind the state that Darian knows how to take care of themselves. I will be delighted to share that message. <laughs> We do it well. I mean, I think that the, the, penalty, the penalties have been discussed, have been proposed, have been debated and shot down so far. You know, there's, uh, there have been several bills over the last few years that have 
you know, looked pretty hairy for us. Like we could have been, you know, required to pay more in taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and right now we're, we're looking at some that could require us to pay more in taxes um, that seem directed at us, at us simply because we have the wealth. So, yeah. yes. Um, I mean, I don't think we've really been, you know, penalized so far. It could be coming. Probably in in small ways we've been we've been penalized, but we've been able to stay the course. But remember, you know, this agenda for um, looking to the wealthy to solve the fiscal problems is much bigger than the state of Connecticut. Oh, you know, I was going to say it's a federal agenda. Yeah, so right, right, right. It's just playing itself out every day here now. Right. Well, yeah. So me, yeah, since I mean we haven't meant to be so political in this podcast, but obviously it's gone down that road here. How does it? How does it feel to be a Republican these days? <laughs> um, you know what? I'm, I am a proud Republican because re- being a Republican to me is about a set of values and ideals. Uh, it has nothing to do with who might have been in the White House in the past administration. Um, it's not something that is a day-to-day decision for me. It's a lifelong decision for me about being a Republican. And I, you know, I live by the rules of what it means to be a Republican every day, and as does my family. Name so, some adjectives there. Republican. What is that? Uh, self-sufficient, um, uh, fiscally responsible, um, asking for a, a hand up, not a handout. Um, seeking seeking opportunity uh, through through education, um, free, free markets and capitalism mm-hmm. are are the way to prosper in America, in my opinion. And you know, uh, call, call me old fashioned. I lived. I I really truly believe that I have lived the American dream, and I think the American dream is still available for my kids and for all people across America. But um, that's. That is not not something that's given to you. You have to work hard to achieve your definition of the American dream. Well, that is the American dream definition. It's right. to work hard. I mean, sorry, that's the way I was raised. Well, it's how I was raised too, but I think other people might might disagree with that. So, um, you know, w- I'm a Republican for so many reasons that are are very deep, not not shallow, and and not focused around, um, you know the political environment du jour. Well, in a, in a safe trigger figure what? under gun. <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> I think everyone thinks Republicans got a gun in their pocket. I don't know. Oh, gosh. Just a joke. Just a joke. <laughs> oh, no, but... Think- Wait, can I ask you a question about one thing about Darian, too, um, that we can talk about is the community pool. I get this all the time. I know it's so silly, but everyone is like, are we getting a community pool? Are we not? <laughs> are you for it or against it? I would love if we could find a place where the community at large and the neighbors around that location would agree that we should have a community pool. Got it. You know, um, if all of our public amenities are embedded in neighborhoods, so doing projects and do, making improvements um, can be very challenging. I'm sure you remember the debates about Highland Farm, for example, and how that was very strongly opposed by 
a lot of the neighbors. Where is Highland Farm? It's the piece of, of land that the town bought from the Oxridge Hunt Club. Okay. Where there's that new walking trail. It's phenomenal, that, that by the way. Everybody uses. People are loving it, um, but that was not without its trials. Um, you know, I came into the role of selectman, and we immediately decided on the plan to. I hate calling it the shuffle, because it was really our 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 thought was it was a facilities optimization plan, tear down that um, really old and, and dilapidated building at Edgerton and move the seniors into a beautiful center at Town Hall and put the Board of Ed at 35 Leroy. The opposition to that plan was unbelievable. The outcome has been phenomenal. Our senior center is the envy of the state of Connecticut. And we have increased membership of our senior program um, probably by a thousand people because we gave our seniors a beautiful, respectful place to have their programs. So, you know, when I talk about the long run, sometimes, you know, you have to be willing to put up with a a lot of anxiety and a lot of brain damage to get to a long-term goal that you know is going to be really good for the community in the end. So... Um, It's like your theme, right? You you put up with a lot to get the right thing done. Yeah. You know, you managed through. Go ahead. I'd love to see a community pool. I just don't know where it would be accepted at this point in time. Darian's tough. Darian's, that's what I love about Darian. Like you, you know, it's tough. They yeah. ask the questions, you know, so you're. But you've, yeah, you put up with it. You managed through, you know, now a pandemic. You presided over thoughtful development, the, you know, the rise of county government again. There's a, There's been a lot that's happened in the last 10 years and, you know, it, it kind of begs the question, I guess, and we've got to wrap it up. But, you know, what what does the future hold for Jamie Stevenson? You know, that is a good question. Um, you know, I day to day, we're just trying to get through COVID right now. I know we have municipal elections coming up. Um, I'm undecided about um, my future with, you know, on, as a municipal leader. Um, so and part of that decision will be made by my family. Right. I was just going to ask you, yeah. does your husband want you to stay in politics in the long run, in government? He's very supportive of whatever I decide. Your kids? Yeah. Um, well, my kids know that you know my if I'm working, no matter what it is, whether it's as first selectman or in another job, um, it would limit my ability to see them uh, since they don't live around here. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they understand that my, um, you know, my professional... Uh, aspirations, if I have any in in any direction or another, um, they're supportive of that too. Okay, Jamie, I got to call you out here. Your answer is just so politician (laughs) in my mind. We just went from hearing about you personally in our last podcast and about one of my favorite things about you is you're always planning to do better, do greater things. And then Taylor asked, what's your next step in life? And you say you don't have a plan. I mean, can I say bullshit? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I I recognize and it even felt a little weird for me to say it that way because I I really don't think of myself in any way like a quote unquote politician. I I actually don't want to have that that label. Um, The truth of the matter is I don't know what my next step is. Um, And I, you know, I, I really take it one day at a time and um, see what, you know, what opportunities unfold. Um, 
And I, I think it reveals itself. That sounds so weird and so mystical, but um, I think it's true. And so I, I don't know what the next step is. And I'm not a politician who's planning my next climb the political ladder. Um, Do you want to stay in it? Do you want to stay in government? Do you enjoy what you're doing, especially after these times? I actually really love what I do, but okay. I think I love what I do because I love um, helping to lead the local team. You know, local service is fabulous. Um, there's there's a bit of a disconnect when you get beyond local government, um, and you know, I I would say that it's on my list of things that if I could you know, change the world, um, I, I would actually make our representatives represent us a little bit better. Um, you know, come and talk to us and, and hear, hear what's important to us and what we're concerned about. There's not enough of that going on, at least in our world here right now. So, um, you know, I love doing what I do because I get to work with awesome people, um, my friends and family and my community members and, and the decisions that that we make collectively that impact our lives every day. That's very gratifying. So, okay. all right. Can I spitfire around her? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Favorite restaurant? Uh, several, but I'll go with Baldanza. Okay. All right. Even though it's leaving, replaced yeah. with parlor pizza. I'll, I'll okay. follow them wherever they go. Okay. <laughs> uh, Favorite coffee in town? Oh, good question. I, you know what? I'm a Nero. Uh, I think I'm a, I'm a Nero convert. Um, they have they have oat milk, so I like oat milk lattes. Mm. But so does Roost. So either one of those. Okay. Favorite grocery store? Palmer's. Mm. Favorite celebrity? That's tough because I I don't like gawk at celebrities. Um, uh, who's I, your Who's your professional idol or mentor? Oh gosh. Um, I have tremendous respect for Linda McMahon. I know that sounds weird, but um, I supported her during her two senatorial bids, got to know her personally, um, and just have tremendous respect for her, um, both um, as a person, as a human being, um, and as a businesswoman. She has an incredible story, so I would say her. Very cool. Favorite park? Favorite park, Pear Tree Beach. Ooh, I'm going to end on this one. Favorite liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> Darian's got like 20 of them. It's like, it's Any, pretty funny. Sipsters is probably my favorite, but um, it's really all about who sells my favorite tequila. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're talking, Darian. <laughs> now we're talking. Thank you, Jamie. It's my pleasure. Thank Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon.